0: Hey everyone, welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games and Video, LLC. Every episode is a journey where I take you to explore crime, forensics and historical cases. Join me as I inform, educate and entertain true crime enthusiasts through criminal justice and dark history tours. My name is Judith A. Yates and I'm an award winning author, a criminologist and a paranormal explorer. Now, grab your crime scene kits, notebooks, and hats, and join me on this investigation. The date is 2013. The place is Moberly, Missouri. Your mission is to learn how both angels and devils walk the earth, and to stand up for the angels. This is when... An Angel Met the Devil on Easter Sunday, Part 1 of 2 Ninety-two-year-old great-grandmother Carmelita Kayser was called an angel by loved ones. She was devoted to her family and friends, loved by her church, and spent time volunteering and helping others. On Easter Sunday, 2013, Carmelita came face-to-face with the devil in the guise of two career criminals who had no value for human life. Why did this case not make the national news with protests, rallies, and a catchphrase? Why does no one stand up for the angels? You tell me. First, I would like you to meet Carmelita Kayser. Carmelita's life was family and church. She was born May 2, 1921, in Edina, Missouri, to Lee and Lena Lanham Corbin. She married Leroy Kayser on September 4, 1940, in Edina. They were soulmates. Carmelita was born and spent much of her life in the Edina-Greensburg area of northeast Missouri. Her home church was in Greensburg, but she and Leroy attended Pleasant Ridge Christian Church often. She supported Central Christian College of the Bible. It was just little things, like donating money when she was able once a student needed a bed, and she gave them one. And she supported graduates who were serving as overseas missionaries. Carmelita did not ask for the attention or to do things for recognition. She helped others because, her family recalls, it was just the Christian thing to do. Carmelita lived by the Christian word. The Casers lived in between Texas and Missouri throughout their lives, moving back and forth. Wherever they went, they assisted their church, her granddaughter Emily recalls. Emily says she was active in the church while they lived in Missouri, but later she helped start two new churches in Texas. In 1959, the Casers visited a new small church and realized the eight people in their family could fill a pew and they could help that church succeed. Later, they would move to Timpson, Texas after their children were grown and the Kaisers assisted with a new church plant, where they spent 27 years serving. You see, Carmelita practiced the words of the Bible. For example, from 1957 to 1963, Carmelita's family lived in South Houston, Texas, on a long stretch of highway. Oftentimes, motorists would break down on this dusty road in front of the Kaiser home. Now, you have to kind of visualize this. Here's this car load. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a family. And here we are in 1957, 1958, and your car just breaks down on this dusty road. And you are in the middle of nowhere, as we say in Texas. And, okay, what are you going to do? no ac no food here you are but there's this little farmhouse on the side of the road and here come these two people what happened well i don't know it just stopped working you know and you're feeling this helpless feeling well here are these two people their names are kaiser and the man says well maybe i can take a look at it and fix it for you and the woman says come in for a cool drink it's hot out here and in texas it gets hot if it's going to take longer they'll invite you to their dinner table for a meal depending on the problem of the car hey listen we got an extra room why don't you have an overnight stay a shower that's the kind of people that the Casers were it was the true Christian heart the Casers would eventually settle down in Moberly Missouri in 1999 now life wasn't always perfect let's be real Life gave Carmelita definite challenges. She did lose two children. She lost her beloved darling husband in 2001 to the absolute hell we call Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, Watching her beloved partner of over 60 years slip away into that fog of no man's land. Now, in 2013, Carmelita had settled into a routine. She still valued church and family. She had five children, 14 grandchildren, and 28 great-grandchildren. She never remarried. She had been one of those people lucky enough to have found her true soulmate and to be with him until the end. Carmelita remained a pious woman. She was still volunteering for her church. She visited nursing home residents and read the Bible with them, and she was continuing to host pastors and evangelists from around the nation when they visited. She lived in this tiny two-bedroom, one-bath home. It was less than 900 square feet, but it was perfect for her. It was located at 401 Moorhead Street in Moberly, Missouri. Now, Moberly is a city of a little over 13,000 in Randolph County. And in 2013, the violent crime rate in Moberly was relatively low. She was never one for expensive, fancy things. Her home and life were just simple. As long as she had the basics, her family and her church, Carmelita was fine. She did enjoy needlepoint, and she taught children to needlepoint, and her work was beautiful. By now, her hair had grown to a soft, cottony, snow-white, kind of a curly cap that she wore short and simple, oval, wireframe glasses encircled her very kind eyes and a soft fleshy face. Carmelita was just under five tall and had grown sort of plump in her years. She wore very little cosmetics and friends and family said she literally lit up when she saw them but she was kind of shy and quiet with a crowd. Carmelita was simply a friend, a grandmother, a parent, A widow, just your average next-door neighbor who loved life, family, God, and counted her blessings instead of her losses. It is no cliche to say Carmelita Kayser was much loved. She was, people said, an angel. Now I want to introduce you to two more players in this story. Jeffrey J. Nichols was a 22-year-old lanky white male who wore his hair close-cropped, almost bald. A light beard and mustache gave him sort of a scruffy appearance, and his green eyes stared blankly into this camera for jailhouse mug shots, of which he was quite familiar. Tattoos peeked through his shirts in this dull blue ink. His mother, Beth, was an addict, a regular at a local homeless shelter, It was said Beth would rather tell a lie than tell a truth. She'd rather scream and fight than have just a normal conversation. Things had to go her way. Her husband, James, was also drug addicted, and Beth eventually appeared at the shelter pregnant with Jeffrey. Mother and son would sort of bounce house to house, shelter to shelter to anywhere, and then she'd show up at the shelter again later she and james would lose custody due to the abuse of jeffrey the founder of the shelter would later testify what his exact thought was when she showed up at the shelter pregnant he thought that child won't have a chance christopher DeMond lewis was 18 a dark-skinned black male hulking and he wore his hair close-cropped. His eyes stared into a mugshot camera as if he had just resigned to his fate of staying one step ahead of the cops until he made the wrong move that would land him in prison. Not much is known of him, except he had a habit named drug abuse. And for that, he was unafraid to commit a crime. Both of these young men, you could say, could be the devil himself. Carmelita Kayser, Jeffrey Nichols, and Christopher Lewis were about to meet. On March 31, 2013, most people were just before 6 o'clock p.m. about to sit down or were finishing an Easter dinner at the table in their Sunday best. Jeffrey Nichols was wearing jeans, a white t-shirt, and an oversized coat. He was fresh out of prison, having been released on February 28th, and was on parole for second-degree burglary. Well, just two days ago, he had been picked up for tampering with property of another by riding around in a stolen car. Right now, he was released on bond. He had actually just hit, hit the street hours before, and he was walking around with his pal, Christopher Lewis. Lewis was wearing dark clothing with jacket and a skull cap. He was much bigger in size than Jeffrey, had sloping shoulders, and one of them was carrying a gun. They were both caught on surveillance video just casually meandering out of a Walmart parking lot in Moberly, concealing a stolen item. Police reports would later identify that item as a machete-type knife. Walmart would call the police, but the thieves were not apprehended. Later that same day, police received a call to a vehicle fire. Not soon afterwards, there was another report, and this was two gunshot victims whose vehicles were stolen. A short time later, two different victims came forward. The first victim reported she was beaten before the suspect stole her vehicle. The other reported being robbed by the suspects. Officers at the vehicle fire managed to identify the car as belonging to a Carmelita Kaiser of Moberly. The dispatcher's voice came over the radio in that drone-like voice that dispatchers always seem to sound like, giving the cop the address of Mrs. Kaiser, 401 Moorhead Street in Moberly. En route, the officer responded. 401 Moorhead was a small white home with just a patch of grass for a front yard and a few large trees. It was a quaint neighborhood, with homes built in the early 1900s and refurbished over the years, where people took pride in their homes. The front door was open. Officers could see the inside of the home was a wreck. Various items inside the residence were just thrown about. Items were thrown off-shelf. Things were broken. Someone had been in a hurry to find something. Burglary, probably, obviously. But where was Carmelita Kaiser? This story will be continued in Part 2 in the next podcast. Please consider subscribing to my podcast or I will gossip about you. And it will be good gossip. The kind that 16-year-old girls gossip. We will meet again and take up the story with when an angel met the devil on Easter Sunday. Part two of two. If you or someone you know has been a victim of elder fraud, help is standing by at the National Elder Fraud Hotline. Call 833-FRAUD-11 or 833-372-8311. Again, if you've been the victim of elder fraud, Call the National Elder Fraud Hotline, 833-FRAUD-11, or 833-372-8311. Thank you for listening to Best True Crime Podcast. We are a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Every episode is a journey where I take you to explore crime, forensics, and historical cases, Join me next episode as I inform, educate, and entertain true crime enthusiasts through criminal justice and dark history tours. My name is Judith A. Yates. I am an award-winning author, a criminologist, and paranormal explorer. I hope you subscribe, and please stop by my website and check out my books and the games created by my team at www.truecrimebook.net.